Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're, you're about, about to, to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 197 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, episodes 46 through 48, where Mustang brings Armstrong some flowers, Winry demands that you save everyone, and we all find some ways to use our animal instincts. Whether it's that you have the instinct that you need to burrow into the ground and eat worms, or if your instinct is to pick up little tiny sticks and make a big giant nest around you, or yeah. if it's your instinct that you should go outside, then come inside, then go outside, then come inside, then go outside, then come inside, then go outside, then come inside. Why is the door locked? Let me scratch on this door. Let me scratch on this door. Let me scratch on this door. Why are you yelling at me? Just let me inside. Anyways, let's jump in. That was like vaguely hypnotic. <laughs> it, did it also it have mad. like flashbacks of your cat? Because that is what I remember of owning a cat yeah. at the small amount Flash- of time I owned a cat was literally that. Flashbacks. Yes. This is not current, of course. Yeah. Anyways. Hey, uh, everybody. I have some notes. I have some news and I don't, I, I feel like we covered these middle three already, but I couldn't remember. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. But. I can't, I can't remember. Yeah. I was going to listen to our previous episode and I, um, well, I let's, didn't. let's roll through them. Uh, the first one is, right, um, uh, let's start on a sad note. Um, yeah, a lot of people have talked about this online. It's pretty big news. Um, but, uh, a voice actor named Billy Kamitz, uh, passed away at the age of 35. I believe it was from like colon cancer, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I got one from the Anime News Network. It was colon cancer. Yeah, only 35 years old, which is... I just turned 33. Spencer, you're 35 right now. Is that right? Mm, December. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't feel old. I don't think that we're that old. You know, we're adults, like, for a while now, but we got a ways to go before we're old. Like, 35 is very young. It's very sad. Um, that's really young to get cancer too, which is very unfortunate. Um, so yeah, he, uh, he was, a pretty prominent voice actor. Uh, the one, the roles that are pulled out by, um, by, uh, the anime news network article that I've got here is that he spoke as, uh, he was Josuke in diamond is unbreakable, which is uh, kind of a big, a big one. He's now Fumi in the rising of the shield hero, uh, Gallo in Promari, Promare, Promari, I don't know how to say it, who is the white blood cell in Cells at Work, and he's Rui in Demon Slayer. Um, so those are, those are some bitty, pretty big properties, except for Promare, I don't know what that is, but uh, that was a that was a lot of uh, good stuff. I know he had worked for a while, so um, pretty sad um, to see that. Yeah. What other news do we have that's not so depressing? Um yeah, of, the, uh, I do. I think we've covered this. I'm going to mention these three middle ones, but not go into them. Uh, Konosuba season three has been confirmed. I think we talked about that last time. Uh, there was a new trailer for Scarlet and Violet. It's exciting. You're going to be able to play with your friends in real time. It looks like that's cool. And uh, the final saga for One Piece is set to begin on July 25th. Yeah. With chapter 1054. Yeah. That's pretty soon. So. I, I've been keeping up to date on One Piece. It is, um, it is hard to get there. Yeah, it is hard to get there. Uh, um, it is a long, long slog um, to get there. Completely worth it. I still hold that this manga is one of the rare masterpieces that we can watch in real time being made. Um, and uh, I think that if you are somebody that wants to get on board with something... Um, you have, and you read manga at a pretty good clip, which I do. Um, you're probably still looking like a three or four month slog to get up to date. Um, I I think you're using the word slog in a way that could be misleading. I mean, this is, 
generally considered very good. I would th- I would say it's a it's a marathon, not necessarily a slog, right? I, I, to me, a slog can, can implies a certain uh, reluctance or like negative experience. Ooh, okay, so here's what um, I'll say. This is why I'm using that word. Um, and okay. if, uh, if, if you're not one of those people that consumes manga at a pretty good clip, um, you are going to take much longer than what I mentioned before. Um, if you uh-huh. are going for getting up to date as soon as possible and have never picked it up before, again, it is going to be a two or three month commitment that you are going to have to make to reading this manga at a very fast clip. But if you are somebody who wants to get up to date before he starts getting towards the end. Don't worry. His sangas can sometimes go for like 400 chapters. So (laughs) you probably have a minute. So I would suggest this. If you are somebody who is going to pick up one piece for the first time, give yourself enough slack where you're reading about a chapter a day. Um, And uh, it's it's going to take you a a long time to get to where we are um but it is well worth it and the reason why i usually suggest to people if they're reading one piece and want to absorb the world that they're reading is that each chapter that you read is so dense with background you are going to need to read it once sometimes twice sometimes three times to get everything if you've ever been one of those people that picks up a Where's Waldo and you notice that there's just like a <laughs> fuck ton of ex- extraneous information in the background that you do not need at all in order to get where Waldo is, you're one of those people that might not enjoy One Piece to its fullest because One Piece is a a very rich background and a lot of characters and by a lot of characters, I mean, there are so many characters and once he creates a character and he doesn't kill that character off, they will be somewhere in the world and he might cut back to them randomly in the middle of a chapter. And you'll be like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? Who is this person? And there is a a one piece wiki. You will need it. Um, especially <laughs> as you get further onto it, it is it, it it is kind of the hallmark of a a true manga genius that he has the ability to have a it's seemingly a encyclopedic knowledge of what he has created beforehand and is able to reference it back and have you go oh I forgot about that character what are they doing. What the fuck? Is this important to the storyline? Maybe it's not important to the storyline. It might be important to the storyline, though. And you're just like, man, this is this is a full world that he has created by this point. Like, a very full world. One thing that I'm thinking as you're talking is, um, you know, we, we've mentioned a few times on here that uh, the if there's a single podcast that inspired the format of our podcast, it is a show called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. Uh, in which they read X-Men and X-Men related comics, tell you the story and, and talk about how that those stories relate into sort of the wider canon. Um, And if you don't know anything about the X-Men, there's this guy named Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont wrote, uh, he he basically made the X-Men into a household name. Uh, in the 60s, when Marvel was just getting off the ground, X-Men was a sort of middling series that was received with some popularity, but was not one of their biggest hits. Um, it ran for a couple of years before being quietly canceled into a sort of syndication in which additional chapters were just reprints of previous chapters. So it runs for about 63 issues or so. Uh and then it keeps releasing issues 64, 65, 66, etc. But each of those issues are just reprints of older issues, um, which is why when you pick up with X-Men, when it when it uh, sort of has a soft reboot later, um, you get like you start off with like issue 92 or something like that, because that's the next one in line, even though the last actual new X-Men content in an X-Men issue was back in the early 60s or maybe late 60s. It was like 63, 66, somewhere around there. Anyway, uh, 
Chris Claremont, to hear him tell it, was helping out with the storyline of those first few chapters of the reboot of X-Men that happened around 1975. Um, in fact, if you hear if you hear him talk, he was just starting out at Marvel uh, near the end of the original run of X-Men from the 60s and was um, submitting or uh, helping the writers kind of brainstorm different ideas that did appear in those comics as well. Like when Cyclops convinces the Sentinels to fly into the sun, apparently that was Chris Claremont's idea. Um so uh, anyway, the, what I'm getting at here is that Claremont worked on X-Men. He was the sole creator uh, of X-Men for 18 years. Uh, he guided that line. I guess in that 18 years, uh, there were X-Men spinoffs, some of which he wrote, some of which he did not write, um, many of which he spun off himself and then passed on to another writer. Uh, slowly, as you get into the late 80s and early 90s, different creators start to come in. Claremont starts to lose his grip on the line. But for the most part, 18 years of X-Men, including some of their biggest and most well-known stories, were created by this one guy. Uh, one Piece has been going since 1997. And if my math is not wrong, uh, that's 25 years. Uh, X-Men comics are released one a month. <laughs> Uh, one piece issue, uh, chapters are released one a week. This is a lot of content. And this guy, Claremont is sort of known as playing the long game. He will introduce something in an early chapter and bring it back years later in real world time. Uh, and you just realize that what he was doing was sowing a seed that he wanted to, to reap later on. And Eiichiro Oda is known for this on an even grander harder to fathom and seemingly more intentional scale like Claremont seeding like two or three storylines at once maybe while he's doing a, his own storyline if what I've heard is to be believed Oda is like seeding everything he's like every single pot that's been put on the fire has either been cooked to completion or is still on the fucking fire and he's just like watching them all. He's stirring them all around, whatever, however this metaphor works. He's just like keeping everything going and keeping his eye on all of it. And it, it just sounds almost impossible to believe as somebody who has read a little bit of early One Piece, but is basically an outsider to this series. It just seems like an incredible feat. And the severe positive praise that it is receiving not just from manga and anime fans but from people who don't usually read manga and anime but love this series i think this is going to end up being one of like the great fantasy series of our time oh yeah uh, i mentioned before that i love fantasy anime uh, uh, probably more than i like any other anime genre um and the the biggest reason why is just because i grew up Obviously, um, if you've listened to the show at all and heard me mention it ever, uh, playing Magic the Gathering from a very young age and watching a lot of a lot of fantasy stuff when I was a kid. Um, and the other thing, too, is that I, I got uh, a lot of fantasy stuff from the video games that I was playing as well, because I used to play Final Fantasy religiously when I was a kid. Um, and it's it's one of those things where the the when i originally picked it up i was like well i'm not into pirates um <laughs> and i'm like i'm not i'm not the most into the whole like going to sea sort of thing but the the world that is this seafaring world combined with the fact that in order to have superpowers in this world you have to take something that makes living on the sea you know, extremely dangerous because one of the drawbacks of having a devil fruit is that you can't swim. Um, so when you go in the water, you're fucked if you don't have a way to get it back out of the water. Um, yeah, right. You basically involuntarily freeze up. Correct. You can't, you're like trapped in a, a suddenly paralyzed body. Yeah. And so these people, not only are they uh, being hunted for bounties, um, but they are also living on the razor's edge at any time they could fall into. They're playing a very dangerous game of don't touch the floor because it's lava, um, except for <laughs> the floor is water that will murder you because you can't swim inside of it. 
Um, so yeah. it is it, it is a really cool premise that is very basic on the surface, and the power sets are very basic on the surface. But as is said from a lot of different fantasies um, and uh, a lot of different good properties that have a magic system the most simplistic magic systems a lot of times will end up with the most amazing storylines built on top of them because when you start simple you can only just go deeper but you still have fundamentals on it at the back end of it and i think that's what makes a really good fantasy creation and that is one of the things that i love the most inside of the way that fantasy manga anime you know any sort of storyline is told and i really i really really think that because of that it will probably end up being like blake said a a true masterpiece inside of the fantasy genre not just a fantasy manga but in in fantasy anything it is it is yeah. a very important piece um i would hold that inside of like the anime genre um specifically um you know, manga and anime, it's not as long, but what we're talking about today, um, like Full Metal Alchemist, also should be regarded inside of those same sort of terms. But because this one is is kind of been going on for so long and it has such a rich world that it's built underneath it, it it has the possibility of turning into something that can like transcend borders around stuff. Um yeah, I, I think that One Piece will both benefit from and stumble from its longevity. Yeah, it is a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, like Spencer said, he kind of alluded to the fact that some this author can can spin out arcs that last more than four hundred chapters. That's a ton, and that means that the fact that the final chap, you know, the final arc is starting with chapter one thousand fifty four means that we could be seeing this series come to an end within a year, or it could continue for multiple more years with chapters still coming out every week because of the way that the guy tells the stories. There are going to be some people, regardless of whether they're anime or manga fans that are going to hear about this story and hear about how good it is and how much it's loved. And they're going to see how much they have to read and they're going to refuse, Uh, which is tragic, but you know, not everything is for everyone. But uh, yeah, I would agree. I think today's today's actual coverage, since we are not actually here to talk about One Piece all day, the actual show that we're covering, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood, is another fantastic fantasy world, another beautifully and wonderfully told story, and, you know, it's a lot more bite-sized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing that I heard about, I I believe, I don't know if I heard about this before you, but maybe we heard at the same time. But uh, there is a uh, another important piece of news about a show that is coming out, um, and that show is uh, a little a little slice of uh, weird space futuristic world shit called Trigun, <laughs> um, and uh, they're making a new Trigun, and. Yeah, I already it's have a reboot. I think I already have so many reservations about this. Um, and yeah, it's because of one thing, and that is because it was announced as a CG anime. And oh, I, really? I was immediately left really worried about that because the studio that's doing it is Studio Orange. Studio Orange has done. One anime that Blake and I both really loved and covered on the show, but apparently nobody else in the world has either seen it or liked it, um, called Dimension W. Um, But they have also done, in recent memory, a CG anime called Beastars. Um, And I have so many problems with that show. The animation quality is not my favorite, just because I, I tend to you know sort of it's not sort of i really don't like cg anime uh, at all and uh it is very difficult for me to like it unless it is a very stylistic choice um that makes sense but with trigun the original anime is beautifully done and amazingly told 
So the fact that I am being told that it is being rebooted probably to tell the same story, but done in a arguably inferior artistic style um, is not super exciting for me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I I would agree that 3d animation does not feel look 3d animation is legitimate animation. It can be legitimate art. Uh, I'm a big fan of things like Moana. Oh yeah. But uh, it has been my experience that a lot of 3d animated anime feel less like people that are trying to make something in 3d and more like people that are trying to make an anime without paying people to draw it. And so I think that's a lot of my frustration with the media with the medium. I suspect that's a lot of yours too, Spencer, because it always feels like corner cutting. And that always feels like it comes out in the quality of the show writ large in the quality of the 3d animation itself. And in the fact that, yeah, probably prefer this to be like, a computer-assisted, hand-drawn experience like My Hero Academia, rather than a 3D experience. Although some of them, like Doro Hedoro, have been pretty decent. Um, I would also say, yeah, looking at this article, I, I pulled one from The Verge, but there's a lot of places that wrote about this. I would say that the article from The Verge is pretty delightful. It's got some funny, some funny lines in it. For example, they mentioned that Studio Orange is making this and said, quote, the same studio that worked on the what if Zootopia but hornier anime Beastars, which is absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Trigon, it's they, a space western. I think they stole that uh, quote from us. <laughs> yeah, probably, because we definitely we definitely drew that comparison, and I'm sure we were the first to do so. Yeah, um, nobody so, had ever done it before us. Yeah, um, I, I would note, as does this article, that uh, this is a, a space western that fits with the aesthetics of Cowboy Bebop and Outlaw Star specifically, I would say that um, in part because a lot of my sort of like looking at the high quality bedrock anime, uh, when I was exposed to Cowboy Bebop, I had seen a few episodes in high school. I didn't get it. And I moved on Uh, when I was, uh, when I had graduated college, I was living in San Francisco with my boyfriend at the time, who was uh, really into anime. We watched Cowboy Bebop together, and I was like, I get it. This is a masterpiece. We also watched Trigon together. Uh, I think that was the show we watched after Cowboy Bebop. So to me, Trigon came out around the same time. It has this, it, it stands in a similar place in the American awareness of anime and that sort of like time period as being another big one that came out and also happening to have a lot of similarities from like setting and mechanics with cowboy bebop it's a lot it's a very stripped down show in which people that are pretty much just people but you know influenced by being in a futuristic sci-fi setting uh utilize guns to have sort of westerns in a sci-fi setting rather than you know superhero powers and stuff like that uh, it is also a pretty good English dub. I would say Cowboy Bebop is is much better as a an atypical North Star of quality, but that the Trigon dub is pretty solid. Um, I would also note this was the thing that we thought maybe was news from from like the probably the biggest news from the convention that we got. Uh, Johnny Young Bosch was one of the guests there, and we sat in on a uh, panel in which he was just kind of taking questions from the audience. And uh, one of the things that he mentioned was that he had seen rumors that the uh, series Trigon was coming back. He indicated that he was not sure if he was going to be asked to come back and voice Vash the Stampede. Um, One thing that he said that also this Verge article repeats is that um, surprisingly, Vash the Stampede was his first voice acting part. Uh, He was an actor that played one of the Power Rangers. Specifically, he was the second Black Power Ranger and then remained in that role when the Black Power Ranger, when they, you know, changed costumes and he went from black to green. He was on Power Rangers for a while. Um, So I knew him from then because I was a big Power Rangers fan as the kid. And then years later i was like wait this is the guy that voices ichigo kurosaki was that black power ranger back then and um yeah he uh he voiced vash the stampede the the star of trigun that was his first voice acting gig which is crazy because he was a lead of a big show 
but uh, since then he has done Ichigo, he's done Lelouch on Code Geass, he's done a lot of a lot of voice acting. Um, so yeah, no word in this article, no word from him at the convention on whether or not he is coming back to voice this. Although not an answer to that question, but an answer to another question at the convention. He mentioned that uh, as is often the case, you will sometimes have projects that you're working on that you know about or that you've completed. Uh, that are not publicly known. So he may actually know that he is Vash the Stampede, but just not be able to say that. Um, I would be a little surprised if they don't bring him back because that's a pretty iconic role. But uh, I guess we'll see. Anyway, I'm cautiously optimistic, but yeah, it's going to be... Trigon is nowhere near the level of like untouchable classic that Cowboy Bebop is, but uh, it's close enough that this is a risky move. <laughs> yeah, you would have people that would probably argue with that, actually. Um, just yeah, because definitely. It, it's, it's considered to be like in in the, the rule book of becoming an anime nerd if you were raised in the 90s. Um, Absolutely. It's in the Pantheon, but I don't think it's as high up. Yeah. Here's the other thing that I I wanted to say about this specifically, and I I think it's very important to note. Uh, A lot of people have posted really scathing responses to this saying that Orange has done a, like, they're like the best 3D animation studio in Japan right now. And they hold up and tout these other anime that have been done with a CG style. Um, I would argue that I have not seen a better CG than a really good 2D. Um, I just haven't. Um, no. <laughs> it's, it's frustrating, and I understand and when people marry the two sometimes it can create a really interesting project but the the amount that you need to put in to a really good cg and not make it too cartoony uh look at b stars or make it fall <laughs> into an uncanny valley situation um which is if you don't know about it it is enough like real people that it uh, looks like it might be a real person, but so close and not correct that the human brain is just like, no, fuck this. I don't like this. Um, And that happens a lot. Um, Other than those two things on those two sides, I have not seen a good, really good CG animation without putting a, incredible amount of money into it um think about something that you've seen recently in a huge hollywood blockbuster um let's say like you know in the marvel franchise some of the cg characters inside of that you're just like holy shit they look amazing and yes they do but the people that work on those it takes years and their budgets a lot of times end up being millions of dollars just spent on working on those kind of animations to make them look as close as possible while at the same time having people that are in like mocap suits that are catching the, the tiny details that happen and tiny like micro changes that you have inside of your face um, that, that translate to emotions um and make people not fall into that uncanny valley situation and that being said the reason a lot of times why 2d gets away with it is because when your eye when you look over 2d animation it does not it does not upset the eye in the same way that 3d animation does just because of that you don't run into Uncanny Valley because when you're looking at 2D animation, your brain is just accepting it as not being something that comes even close enough because it is a totally different medium than, you know, live action versus cartoons. And it's just, it is that separation that is one of the things I love about the way that anime is still done today. Um, there's there's cartoons that are on now um, that people would be like, well, these this 2D animation has been drawn on a computer. And it's just like, yeah, but <laughs> that's not what CGI is. 
CGI yeah. has to be created on a computer because you need something to be able to program all of those tiny pixels in order to make it a, you know, a 3D rendering with, you know, depths and space that's going to be inside of it. But at the same time, it is, you can still do beautiful 2D animation. And I still think that it is my favorite medium inside of anime. Um, I just, I, ha- I haven't come around to a good CGI. Um, I yeah. just, it, it, it does not blow me away. Um, I haven't been happy with any of them that I've seen so far, unless it is specifically stylized. Um, we watched an anime um, on one of our screen times. Gosh, it's been a while. Um, it was about like these, these girls that are made up of different uh, elements um, and they were fighting against like some, some shadow thing that was trying to come and take them. Um, God, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, but the, I re- it doesn't strike a chord. What is it? Yeah, it's uh, God. I, it, somebody recommended it to us, and then we watched it on one of our screen times, and we we both agreed that it's just like it's really interesting. But the style girls the, that are made up of elements and are fighting—they're made of like stones, I think, like different kinds of stone. Um, oh man, now I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, we've been talking about this for so long without getting to the normal stuff, but I just wanted. Uh, yeah, well, it's mostly fights today, so. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, um, just just be aware that that's from my perspective what I've seen a lot of times, um, and it's it's unfortunate um, that I feel this way just because I want something like this to be done. Um, I honestly, it's it's one of the the same reasons why I feel like uh, a live action version of a lot of anime ends up falling flat for me um, because I mm. still feel that 2d animation is the best medium in order to, to give us good anime. Um, and I, I haven't been persuaded by something else, not to say that that will never happen, but here I am. Um, also while we're speaking of like, CG and being drawn and wanting a storyline to be sold so badly with just 2D animation instead of 3D. You remember that show that we watched on Netflix that was about like these people that were in space that were running away from these aliens that kept on trying to attack them? Do you remember that show? Isn't that uh, Space Battleship Tiramisu? No. God, what is it? Oh, it's going to bother me. It's like. It's like they're living on side of like this big space oh, platform. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Knights of Sidonia. Yes. One of the most frustrating moments. And Blake and I both had this almost at the exact same time when we were watching this show is that we were like, man, the story is great, but it's just becoming unwatchable because <laughs> the, the animation quality in the CG was just, they put money into some parts of it and some parts of it, you could really tell that they were cutting corners. And when you're doing CGI, by the way, you can really tell when people are cutting corners way more Um, just because it, when something stops inside of the, the CGI, you're just like, Oh, there's this, it, it really bothers me in a way that a lot of 2d animation doesn't just because a lot of times you're, I think it's just because my brain accepts that it's a drawing. So sometimes it's not going to move, but when you look at CGI, um, especially like even in video games, you'll notice that like when something stops moving on the screen, it really catches your eye. So like, even when you're talking to, um, you know, in like old final fantasy games and stuff like that, when they, when the, you, you, aren't talking to somebody in the background. They're still kind of like moving back and forth. That's like weird little shuffle movement. Um, but it's, it's enough to where your brain isn't just like, what the fuck is happening? Why is that person frozen? You know, like you're having a loading issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I've, yeah. I've been, I've been ranting for so long now. Let's get into full metal alchemist. <laughs> Apparently we had a lot to talk about. Were you thinking of a certain magical index? No. 
No. Damn it. I looked gonna, through all of our weekly jumps. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, I'm going to find it. We used to watch different stuff. It might it might have been one of those times. Like, I'm going to find it while you do your other thing. Okay. Tell us what happened you previously on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Well, uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is about two brothers. Uh, one is named Edward Elric, and his younger brother is named Alphonse Elric. Uh, most, uh, they often go by Ed and Al, and uh, they are alchemists. In this universe, alchemy is a, a sort of, you know, magical process by which you can transform or reshape one thing into another thing. So you might reshape it by pulling a spear out of a cobblestone street that is now a stone spear. You, you just took the stones and you reshaped them. Or you might rearrange it. So you might take the... Uh, the molecules in some metal and rearrange them so that the metal becomes uh, stronger or more brittle so that you can, you know, resist an attack or break through a steel door, etc. Uh, it's kind of based on the concepts of alchemy from our world, which was the idea that you could transform one thing into another by rearranging its atoms. Um, and it takes that to an anime-fied magical extreme. Now, uh, there's a couple of rules with alchemy. Uh, the big one is equivalent exchange. In order to gain anything, something of equal value must be lost. And uh, one of the taboos of alchemy is that you should not try to create a human life um, or to uh, bring back a human life, uh, either one, really. Uh, part of this is a sort of I think a metaphysical idea over what it is that makes a human life, what it is that makes a human soul, etc. Um, but also part of it really plays into that equivalent exchange thing. If you want to bring back a life, you probably are going to have to exchange one. Um, Ed and Al, when they were young kids, they did a lot of studying about alchemy and they became uh, sort of prodigies in the field. And uh, they did this because their mother had died from an illness and they wanted to bring her back, but they, they had that desire in secret. And so they learned a lot about alchemy. They become very good alchemists at a very young age. And then they steal away with all of these sort of chemical ingredients that make up a human body. And they spill a little, a little bit of blood to provide the, uh, an, take the air quotes here as red, human soul, and then they try to recreate their mother. Instead, what they get is a glimpse to the other side. There is some sort of metaphysical plane with a, I don't know, door of truth that uh, Edward found himself in front of, and in exchange for getting there and seeing the truth, he had to give up one of his limbs. He loses an arm, and uh, then when he comes to in the real world, he realizes that his little brother's body has vanished. It was also sacrificed in this process. And he, terrified, uses the blood from his stump arm to create a blood seal on a nearby suit of armor that will seal his brother's soul onto it. And in the process has to give up one of his legs as well. So now he has, an, he has a... Uh, nowadays, he has a metallic prosthetic arm and a metallic prosthetic leg to replace those, and his brother is a spirit attached to a suit of armor with nobody inside of it. Uh, ever since then, they have learned their lesson, and they have uh, turned their thoughts to a quest to return their bodies to the ways that they were, so that Alphonse can have his body back and Edward can have his arm and leg back. Um, in the process of that, they have become what's called a state alchemist, which is an alchemist that works for the uh, military of their country, which is a country called Amestris. Um, uh, specifically, Edward is a state alchemist. Alphonse is not, even though he is also a gifted uh, alchemist, but he just kind of travels around with Edward, and they utilize Edward's state alchemist cred to help them in their quest to figure out how to get their bodies back. Initially, they wanted to do this by utilizing something called a Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone is a sort of uh, legendary alchemical artifact that people weren't even sure if that was a real thing or not that uh, was said to bypass equivalent exchange. And that sounds great. Instead of being able to, uh, instead of being forced to give up something of equal value, you can just get stuff for free. So they're looking for this. In the quest, they realize that there is a shadowy uh, group of uh, characters called homunculi 
The homunculi are um, humans created using alchemy, which is mysterious because you're not supposed to be able to do that. And they also know something about philosopher's stones because they are all made using them and contain philosopher's stones in their bodies. And upon learning this and sort of getting to know more about these characters, they at an now come to realize that philosopher's stones are created by sacrificing people to create a sort of like uh, uh, an artifact of souls, essentially the, the basically the philosopher's stone doesn't get around equivalent exchange. It just front loads equivalent exchange. It is a prepaid gift card. The money has already been spent, but you just have to go get the things that you want the money spent on. So uh, it is not free stuff and uh, it is super horrifying. And at an owl set out to uh, get rid of the homunculi because they find out that the homunculi being led by a mysterious uh, guy named father who happens to be an exact clone of their actual father uh, wants to create a giant uh, uh, philosopher's stone event in the country of Amestris that will turn all of its residents into material for a new philosopher's stone and so they want to stop that from happening and take out the homunculi in the process. And so they've been sort of turning their attentions to that and letting their quest to get their bodies back fall into kind of second position. Um, there's a girl named Winry that Edward has a crush on. She also has a crush on him, uh, but they're, you know, sort of teenagery about it. So they kind of hate on each other, even though they secretly like each other. Uh, she also happens to be a very gifted mechanic. So she helps create the uh, auto male prostheses that um, Edward wears. Um, Alphonse has started to have some weird blackouts in which he suspects that his actual body is existing and slowly desiccating in the sort of world beyond where the door of truth is. And he's starting to get worried that his time is running short. Uh, there's a guy named Scar. He's part of a race of people named the Ishvalans. They are a, uh, an ethnic minority group in the country of Amestris, whose um, small country was genocided by the country of Amestris a few years back. And that turned out to be a ruse under which the baddies uh, wanted to make a, uh, a sort of a, a bloody zone. Essentially there's a, this is something called, I think they called a blood seal, but essentially they wanted a lot of people to die because that's part of the process of getting things set up to make the big philosopher's stone. Um, so they kind of orchestrated a genocide and Scar's people were the victims of that. And he has been on a revenge mission against state alchemists because of what happened to his people. He has since then turned his attentions also to the homunculi and their big plan, which they're calling the promised day. And he is now working somewhat begrudgingly alongside our heroes in order to uh, prevent the promised day from happening because he does not want another genocide to occur, but he also wants to, um, get his, uh, sort of get respect for his people and for what happened to them. Uh, there's a guy in the military named Mustang. Uh, Colonel Mustang has been an ally of Edward and Al for a while. He has ambitions to be the leader of the country. That's a title known as the Fuhrer, similar to our president. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the current Fuhrer is also secretly a homunculus and is also secretly working to enact the homunculi's plan. And so uh, Mustang has become aware of this. He is also aware that the uh, Fuhrer's son, Salim, is also a secret homunculus and is also secretly working for this plan. And so Mustang, who has been sort of found out by the Fuhrer and placed in a position of a relative lack of power without actually being demoted in the military. He's basically had people that he cares about placed into a functional hostage situation in order to uh, keep him in line. But he has been secretly moving in the uh, background to try and set up allies so that they can try and resist the uh, secret homunculus leadership of their country. Um, some of the homunculi, the, the homunculi are named after the seven deadly sins, 
We're going to see a couple of them today. The biggest ones you need to know are Salim Bradley. That's, uh, again, the Fuhrer's son. He's a young kid, so it's really creepy to see him being evil and having terrible powers. There's also one named um, Gluttony, who is a uh, big chonky boy that has the ability to like eat anything. And also, when he can't eat something, he can make his stomach open up into a giant portal doorway so he can uh, eat the things he wasn't able to eat beforehand. Uh, Celine Bradley also goes by the name of Pride. Hohenheim is the name of Ed and Al's dad. Again, father is a clone of Hohenheim. Hohenheim was turned into a Philosopher's Stone without his knowledge in the past, and he is now also a part of the quest to stop father and the homunculi from finishing their quest. Uh, and then there's a guy named Ling. Ling comes from a country uh, far away. They use a thing called Alkahestry, which is similar to but not identical to alchemy and uh, he came to this country to see if the secrets of alchemy contained the secrets of immortality when he found out about the homunculi being um, nearly immortal beings sustained by philosopher stones he willingly offered his body to become the next host of the homunculus greed whose previous host had been killed earlier in the series greed is now in his body and is running the show but ling has reasserted his consciousness uh, at least once before and so they are sort of like living alongside of each other ling is still alive inside of his own body but is not in the driver's seat there's a lot going on and i i suspect that i left out one or two things but i think that gets us up to speed more than enough to start on episode 46 all right episode 46 is called looming shadows where shadows loom loomingly um <laughs> so uh, winry um that's all that happens. Uh, yeah. Episode 47. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so the big thing that's going to happen right away, though, is that Winry is going to go into her house, and she's reminiscing, and then she's like, oh, look at my house, look all around. Let me just go up to my room and get changed really quick. And she finds, uh, like, Ed is just, uh, he's just in her room, and he's like, yeah. she's like, what are you doing in my room? As she's about to get changed. And he's just like, I was looking for a quiet place to eat my sandwich. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that is, that is either you being like completely devoid of knowing what you're doing or <laughs> you being like a real creep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first one. I hope so. Uh <laughs> Yeah, she she screams, and then they have a sort of, like, pile-up sequence of, like, who are you? Well, who the hell are you? Kind of thing, and that's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. But what it, what it boils down to is that Ed is back here to get his auto-mail fixed again, because this is the only uh, place in the game where you can save your uh, profile. And so you have to come back here <laughs> periodically. <laughs> and so he's got to get his auto-mail fixed again, and Greed is with him this time. And Wynn remembers him as Ling because they met and he's greed and he's like, oh, you must know the other guy. And there's, you know, all that cute stuff. Um, Anyway, uh, she and Ed are going to have this uh, conversation that is very anime, but is also like. It, I don't, it just played a little too real for me in a way where I was like, Winry is being unreasonable. So yeah. here's what happens. Ed is like some shit is about to go down for real, like some real big shit. And like, I don't, I'm going to do everything I can to stop it, but the odds are against us. All right. And uh, it's going to be a countrywide situation. So I think that you should take your grandmother and get out of town for a while, have like a nice vacation. I'll pay for it. Um, But just like, just it's, I think just a vacation for like a little bit that's out of the country is like really, really just a solid idea right now. And she's like, no, fuck you. If something bad's going to happen, all you have to do is just stop it. And I'm going to stay here. So just, just stop the bad thing. The rationality <laughs> behind this, the rationality behind this is obviously to give him like a, additional resolve so that he will yeah. refuse to fail. But, and, and it's, you, that, what you it's should, that don't, what you that should don't die do. thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it, what you just, should do in this situation is that you should tell him that. And then you should leave the and country. Leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
like, look, he needed to hear that, but I don't need to actually like live it out because he ain't gonna be here. Yeah, and but yeah, maybe, she's maybe tell all of your friends that are in the village that they also should leave, um, except yeah! for like that one asshole that like always like has his dogs poop on your lawn. Like he yeah. can stay. <laughs> also, everybody, tell everybody they should leave. The plan doesn't work if there aren't people to sacrifice. Call in some bomb threats. Like, let's figure it out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Everybody wins the sweepstakes, but it yeah. must be redeemed now. Yeah. <laughs> like, I j- but yeah, it. They're, what they're trying to do is that whole thing where it's like, I will, my resolve is too strong for anybody to get hurt. And Ed needs, needs to like find that resolve. So she's like, you, we can't do contingency plans. You just have to do the thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that sentiment and it is super common in Shonen anime, um, even more so than in real life, which totally happens in real life. But in this context, I'm just like, girl, you don't have a concept of how big this is mm-hmm. and what you are asking. <laughs> like, yeah. you're, she, he's like, something my, bad is going to go down and I would like you to be safe. And she's like, no, just save the country. She's like, <laughs> just... no, you know, those like, you know, big pile of immortals that you have to defeat. <laughs> One of them being nearly and completely and utterly indestructible and also uh-huh. might be completely full of so many powers that you won't be able to do anything against him. Yeah. Defeat yeah. him. So anyway, you know the, 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 the guy who turned off the only thing that makes you able to fight them, go fight him. Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway. here's, here's the other things that are <laughs> happening in this episode. Um, in short order, uh, Scar, or we get to see him hanging out with his allies and revealing that he has been uh, bringing more Ishvalans together so that they can go attack against the city. Um, and I like this. This was this, good. This falls into a different plan that is going to be happening at the same time, which is that uh, back in Central, they are um, preparing this, like, I guess it's like a a military show of power where they're going to bring uh, troops in from all over the country in order to, like, have, like, war games, basically. Um, yeah, and so, so they can turn them into stones. Yeah, and they so... Don't know that. <laughs> so here's the thing that's happening at the same time. Um, information is being fed back to King Bradley and Bradley is being told that he needs to go to this other place because they are about to try to ambush them from another direction. And so Bradley goes, this turns out to be a complete, uh, kind of like faint, I think is the word where you like, you move one way, but you're, you're really just showing your hand. So they try to pay attention to that thing. Um, it turns out that what they were really doing is that they're going to be attacking from a different way and they gave false information so that Bradley would move the way that they wanted him to move. And they planted a bomb in the middle of a train track that Bradley would have to go over in order to get where he needs to go. And they explode it as he's over the train tracks. But uh, Bradley's body isn't found. So, yeah. you know, can't he, trust him without all- a body. All of us watching at home are like, that definitely didn't kill him. But he is gone for the the rest of these episodes. Yeah. One thing that I like about this, too, is that, yeah, there are different groups of heroes that have different amounts of information about what's going on and that have all enacted their own plans. And I love that. Um, One of them is Mustang, who is uh, trying to pass information secretly. And so he goes to um, Olivier Armstrong, who just took over her family's estates and he puts on this whole like dog and pony show about basically flirting with her and about how they need to have dinner. And she starts to pick up on the fact that this is a ruse and he like gives her flowers. And in the flowers is the note that tells her that Celine Bradley is a homunculus. And then he's basically like super sappy, which if you remember, she is not super sappy. She's a total hard ass. And so she characteristically responds negatively to him being sappy by throwing the flowers and consequently the secret note into some fire. And it is super great. They just overact their way into passing information. And I love it. Yeah. And then uh, we have the last piece of this episode, which is arguably the most important. Um, And, that is that uh, Al is having 
much, much more difficulty lately staying in touch with his soul. Um, he's beginning to have these blackouts, and during these blackouts, he's seeing his body that's wasting away on the other side of the door. Yeah, um, and I'm and, like, that's normal, Al. Why are you acting so strange about this? Yeah, he is. It, it's not going well. Um, he's starting to fall apart. And just when he completely falls apart and is uh, unable to pay attention to what is happening around him because he's trying so desperately to fight off passing out and disconnecting again, he runs into gluttony and pride Two terrible people to run into in this situation. Um, and, in any situation, really. Yeah, yeah, and he is about to try to fight against them when he loses consciousness again, and they take his body away. And that takes us into episode... Yeah, they episode... seem to know how to induce unconsciousness. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, yes, you're, you're right. Let's go to 47. Yeah, this goes to episode 47, Emissary of Darkness. And when we say Emissary of Darkness... Emissary of Darkness! What we're saying about Emissaries of Darkness is... um, Is, first and foremost, we're going to have to deal with pride. Um, Oh my god, Blake. I'm with you. Anyways. So, the way that we get pride introduced inside of this fight, though, is that before... um, before we can get to that, Ed has to run into his dad. And his dad tells him yeah. everything that's going on. And Ed reacts badly. <laughs> He's not yeah. a fan of Hohenheim. He is... Ed has a big chip <clears throat> on his shoulder. Yeah. Um... He's not proud of it, but he's always angry about it. Um, yeah. And he tells uh, he tells Hohenheim his mother's last words. Hohenheim breaks down, and Ed's just like, I don't believe it still. Um, you fucker. But Ed goes uh, with his uh, his group. They're trying to um, break out and go to their next destination when they go into the forest and run into Al. They're like, oh, Al, I have so many things to tell you. I'm so glad to see you. Um, but it turns out that Pride has a stupidly powerful ability, which is that he can control all shadows and uh, yeah. the inside of uh, the inside of Al's body is basically a shadow. And so he possesses Al's body making it it very difficult for Ed to fight against it because if Ed destroys the wrong part of Al, it will sever his connection with his soul and it will destroy him for sure. And so he is being roped into this fight. And then a really smart thing uh, happens, which is that, um, man... I can't remember exactly the first time it happens when they cut out all the lights. Yeah. Um, but they, they figure out, um, they figure out pretty uh, quickly. Edward, Edward attacks the power lines. Yeah. 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 But before he attacks the power lines, they figure out the, the whole thing about the shadow. Right. Because like, there's basically if it's, if it's too dark, (laughs) darkness and shadow are different. Yes. And if, so you have to have enough light to cast a shadow. If it's just nighttime, that doesn't count. Yeah. Selene's powers get cut off. Yes. And so, um, and so Ed decides that the easiest way to, to cut off his, uh, his masterfully powerful ability is to shut off all of the lights all around them. And so, uh, they, they do that. They get into a fight. They, they start to overpower them. Um, especially, uh, uh, gluttony who is not really able to do basically anything in the dark. He is just too, dumb i guess to not keep on freaking out and just swinging wildly um and it gets additionally difficult for him because he is going to be attacked by greed and also um uh another person that we hadn't seen in a long time which is a ninja with an auto male arm yeah. So that's going to be cool. And it takes us to 48. Yeah. And that's going to be lawn fan. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering what's happening to pride, he's being uh, slashed out over and over again by a big by lion kid. man. <laughs> the big lion man is going to, um, this is episode 48, the oath uh, in the tunnel. Um, but this, <laughs> this episode, my favorite part of this episode is like the lion guy is like, just 
trying to murder uh, Pride. And Pride is, like, very, very durable, so he just can't kill uh. him fast enough. And there's, like, these villagers that come over and they're like, we saw there was a power outage. And he's just like... He's just like, oh, get away from here. Don't t- don't bring the light over here. And they're just like, we need to help that child that you're trying to murder, you big lion monster. <laughs> and he's just like, no, leave. And so um as soon as as soon as he gets his power back, Pride like stabs the lion uh guy, and all of the villagers are like, oh fuck this! <laughs> like run off. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they also, uh, Lanfan, uh, I guess reveals, I don't know that this was, I think this is news, but Lanfan reveals that they have in the ability to sense auras to the extent that they are able to find homunculi in the dark because they have figured out how homunculi aura feels. And so she is able to attack, um, gluttony, even though gluttony can't see her because it's still dark where they are fighting. And uh, yeah, she's back. She used to be Ling's bodyguard, and now she lost an arm during uh, a battle that they had earlier. And now she's back with her new prosthetic arm, and she's better than ever because her prosthetic arm is also a weapon, and she's cool as shit. And then Ling, uh, who is currently being controlled by greed, is like, I can do the aura thing too, but you can't because you're greed. You're just in my body. You don't have my powers. And so if you switch places with me and let me take over my own body for a little, a little while... I can also do the aura fighting, and so Greed does. And mm. I don't know, it's kind of is interesting because he's got the whole like, um, there's sort of you can tell that, or well, I don't know, I I don't want to say you can tell because I don't I don't actually know where this goes, um, since I never did finish Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. But uh, uh, to me, as somebody who doesn't know where it goes, it really reads like Greed is learning to be symbiotic instead mm. of parasitic. Yeah. And so he's, you know, the difference being instead of greed being in charge all the time, he's learning that like sometimes Ling being in charge is working will work for their interests and that they are a, a team instead of greed, just subjugating Ling. So yeah. uh, I like this a lot. And uh, gluttony is doing very poorly in this battle. And yeah. his response to this is like, if I can't eat you, I'm going to eat you harder. And that's because his, Power to eat things can go amped up where he can turn his belly into a like vacuum gateway. And so he does that. Uh, and then it doesn't work for some reason. I don't remember how they get from the vacuum gateway. Did they just cut him up real bad? Oh yeah. She, she cuts him That's multiple it. times. Uh, one time she cuts him literally through his face. So his face yeah. like falls in half and he has to like hold it together. Um, and uh, it's really messed up. But yeah, not as messed homunculi, up. Homunculi have a bunch of lives. So you have to kill them like a thousand times before it sticks. Yeah. But uh, what's even more messed up, though, is that uh, Ed has caught up with the lion man who is about to be killed. And the way that he is going to start fighting with pride is that he is going to show off his ability of his new automail arm, which is that he can turn into like super, super strong carbon. Um, and so he uh, he is able to do this and fight against pride. Pride is a little, this- little bit taken back. So he tries to do his same move again where he's going to take over Al's body this is what Ed has been waiting for and he is going to throw up a flash grenade which is going to create so much light that it basically there's no shadow and that breaks off Pride's ability to hold Al they save his body and they start to retreat and the only thing Pride can think to do is he's just like you know what uh, uh, Gluttony has like really good a good sense of smell I need for I need to have this ability in order to catch them. So what I'll do is I'm just going to fucking eat gluttony, <laughs> which is irony. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and he, it's great. he turns his shadows into a big, uh, uh, Fangmon and then he eats gluttony and then he gains basically the equivalent of the aura sensing ability that, uh, Ling and Lanfan have. Yeah. Also the arm thing. I just wanted to comment on that. Uh, the fact that like Ed is able to use his auto male arm as a perfect guard that pride is unable to break through is a callback to two things from earlier in the series mixed together. And I love it specifically. It is 
Greed's homunculus ability to harden his skin uh, into a like hardened carbon shield that is almost impenetrable, uh, which Ed wasn't able to do because his previous auto mail arm wasn't the right composition of elements, but he can do it now because he had to get his arm replaced with a differently composed metal when they went to the far north where it was too cold for his previous one. And the new arm uh, doesn't get as cold as fast, so it won't give him uh, frostbite when he's in the north, but also it has more carbon. So now he can use the greed ability. And this is just so cool. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's happening inside of this episode is that we're going to get a little bit more information about Mustang. Mustang is going to go to his foster mother um, and give her some more information. She, she she runs like a like an underground information ring, um, and that uh, gives it's us a another uh, another. It's it's an information ring for sure um, because the way that. Yeah, it, it can be multiple things. Anyways, um, they are going to... Uh, he, Mustang is going to get her down into the sewers um, and get her to escape um, while exploding her bar uh, while people that are after Mustang are almost catching up with him. Um, then Mustang is going to connect with his rebels. They all ra- gather around him and they're like, okay, um, what should we do? And he's just like, don't die. And that is literally his yeah. message to them. Um, and it's uh, very anime. These episodes end with uh, the, the first part of the plan going into motion, which is that Mustang is going to capture Fuhrer Bradley's wife. And that yeah, and takes that us into the end of these episodes. So don't get tricked. <laughs> yeah. So stick with us after these credits and we'll tell you what's coming on next oh, week. What a transition. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash getjumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of The Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of. If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on comic book keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geeksploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 102, episodes 4 and 5. Look, I'm not saying that everybody in this show is ridiculous, but what I am saying is that most of the people that have names in this show are ridiculous. And this next episode, it goes to, nay, I say, 99 to 100. (laughs) 